Welcome back to Martins and More. My name is Mari Rutsch. And I'm Spoon Phillips. Today's program is brought to you by the Martin CSSC 2022. The custom shop CSSC 2022 is packed with custom features and it's the first Nazareth made Martin with revolutionary SC body style. It features solid East Indian rosewood back and sides, a VTS Sitka top, it's kind of a cross between an SC-13E and an OM-28 Modern Deluxe. For more information on the CSSC 2022, please visit us online or contact us today. We have a lot to talk about today, Spoon. How you doing? I am doing just fine. How you doing? How you doing? As you can tell, we are broadcasting live from Brooklyn today. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Brooklyn. Brooklyn. <laughs> Brooklyn, New York. Um, yes, I've been a resident of Brooklyn for decades now, and and once in a while, if I'm a little too tired, I will say coffee and catch myself uh, sliding <laughs> into some Brooklynese now and again. Nice. Um, but uh, how are things out there in Pennsylvania? It's finally becoming warm on a consistent basis. We got fooled pretty well maybe two months ago two or three days of 70s and then it goes down to the 30s and then we get like five or six days of rain. But I'll tell you right now, sitting here in the end of May, we've had a good 10 day stretch of nothing but sunshine. You know, don't get me wrong, it's still cool in the evening, but I think it's safe to say that winter madness is all the way behind us. It's gonna be smooth sailing now. We're gonna get the kayaks out there, we're gonna get the bikes out, and we're gonna get some really cool short podcast episodes coming soon. <laughs> because it's gonna be shorts weather. And everybody knows that knows Maury how much he enjoys going out in shorts, singing about spring. Speaking of singing, and there's a very cool idea that's not my own, but one of our loyal listeners did ask us maybe a few months ago back when we were soliciting some ideas for new podcast shows, why don't we talk about songwriting and the recording process? Let me ask you, Spoon, is today a good day to do something like that? Or are you feeling a song in your heart? Well, what would you do if I sang out of tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? I won't sing, I promise. <laughs> well, folks, apparently I'm here all by myself now. Oh, he's back, unfortunately. I thought I had the show to myself. Um, but yeah, that would be fine. I would be happy to talk about songwriting, uh, uh, the rather mystical uh, endeavor uh, for some of us. For others, it's a more practical uh, application and skill and craft. Uh, so it's a very personal thing, so I'm very curious to hear all about songwriting from the perspective of Mari Rutsch, who's written some really great songs. Well, thank you, but I'm going to be a gentleman and ask you to go first. One of my favorite songs, and I'm going to sound like a fanboy now, but one of my favorite Spoon Phillips songs used to be on the beginning of the virtual tour program at Mari's Music from time to time. It's called Chinatown, and I'd love for you to explain to me and our listeners, all about writing that and maybe where the inspiration came from. But when this is over, I want everyone to know exactly all they can about one of my favorite spoon tunes, Chinatown. Oh, so that one, that one. Well, that one goes way back. And it's, a, it's an interesting example 
because uh, I I seem to practice um, songwriting from the David Crosby school, which is take forever to polish songs into little gems that sometimes take years before they, they come to fruition. Um, but also, I, I find myself, when it comes to writing songs, that some songs start with lyrics. And so in other words, uh, you know, poetry that then turns into song lyrics. And I feel there's a, a difference between I feel there's a difference between lyrics and poems, though they often can be the same thing. But not all poems uh, work for songs, and, you know, certainly not traditional melodic songs, and not all, you know, not all prose does either, for that matter. And um, I often, you know, hear people basically writing out their idea and their their uh, what's basically prose, and then trying to force it into music as opposed to then going back to it and and f turning it into song lyrics. And with Chinatown, it was kind of a mix of both of those things. The song itself continues to evolve to the point that I have recently changed the opening line and uh, to fit the song better because the song evolved into something different than the initial germ of it. And this goes back, this goes back 30 years probably, um, where one day in a very early morning, I was walking down Lower Broadway, uh, heading to a theater where the play that I was directing was moving in from, uh, from its rehearsal space up in Times Square, and I was getting ready to go into three days of technical rehearsals. And it was super early on a Sunday morning, and I walked by... Uh, a parking lot that wasn't opened yet, like just a corner blacktop parking lot that would have an attendant, but there was a car in it and was clearly a plainclothes police officer drinking a cup of coffee. And that was the that was one image that I remembered so clearly of that morning walking downtown uh, Manhattan very early in the morning. And then as I was about to turn right, literally and figuratively into three hectic days of technical rehearsals, I noticed that the other early risers that were walking down the sidewalk ahead of me were continuing on and turning left into this golden sunrise. And I was sorely tempted to play hooky and follow them and turn left onto Canal Street and walk into Chinatown, and um, which is one of my favorite places. And so that began this long, uh, at times, uh, troublesome, uh, how do I put that into a song? And it was basically a love song to a place. And some of the words came out pretty quickly, but others but it had chunks that just wouldn't come, even after I had the melody and even after I discovered what the bridge was going to be musically. And um, I think uh, Mari at some point is going to be adding in uh, little uh, audio snippets and also linking in the comments below to uh, a video of this 
of this song or what other, whatever other songs we end up talking about. So that's how Chinatown began. And, um, and it has a verse. The first verse is about the early morning. Uh, the second verse is basically about the afternoon and the day. And the third verse is about the evening and the fall of night. And basically somebody spending a, an entire day in this uh, historic uh, and lively neighborhood in New York City. And so the original line that I've sang for many years and that you'll see all over the internet is a fat white cop, <laughs> begins with a fat white cop, uh, gets some coffee in a coffee shop. And I just this year, when I was getting ready to perform at a, a, a show here in New York um, with a couple of former band members who were backing me up, I um, changed the lyric to a young white cop and because in the at the end of this last the last verse begins with the line an old black cop gives the uh, time to a passing socialite and so having a young cop in the morning and a young white cop in the morning and old black cop in the at the evening basically puts the bookends on it of the early morning sunrise and the end of the day uh, you know nighttime and so it took me only 33 years, probably, uh, <laughs> to finally do that. So I finally feel like I've done my last chip of the chisel in the sculpture of, of what is Chinatown. So that's a rather long introduction, but I don't know if that gives you some of the information you wanted. Um, well, it, it just not. makes me nervous that if we hurry through this, you might come up with the really awesome middle part of the song in 66 <laughs> years, and I might not be around to hear it. <laughs> I, I'm well. I'm rather pleased with the middle part of the song, uh, when the uh, bridge finally showed up, and uh, and. Um, <laughs> I mean, I just think it's yeah. so neat that like different people were in the presidency uh, when the song started than when the uh, the first verse got fixed. I think that's pretty cool. Absolutely, yeah, and that's you know it's one of the things, uh, and I'm certainly not the only person. I. Uh, um, where's a good example of this that I recently heard where some famous songwriter, it might be Van Morrison, um, changed his lyric. Oh, in fact, it is Van Morrison in Into the Mystic. Oh. He no, lo he no longer says, rocks my gypsy soul. Um, and I think that may be related to the fact that gypsy... Uh, in those days was used to mean like, you know, a, a traveling guy, Bob Dylan, Woody Guthrie, all those kind of people would use that term. But today it's, you know, it's actually considered a derogatory term for a ethnic minority in Europe, the Romani, who, um, who uh, you know, certainly Django Reinhardt called himself a gypsy or the French word for gypsy, but lately it's become a, a uh, socially sensitive word, and Van wow. Morrison doesn't use the word any longer. He just says, uh, rock my soul. So I find that pretty fascinating. That, you know, there are definitely people, Bob Dylan certainly has tweaked his lyrics over the years. Um, the version of Rockin' Chair that the, that the birds do, and that is the published version, isn't the version that's on Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits Volume 2. It's completely different, or almost completely different lyrics. So... Huh. So I'm in good company when it comes to slowly adjusting lyrics. <laughs> so for listeners out there writing your own songs, don't be afraid. You know, nothing has to be uh, carved in stone. It's your creation, and, and 
So keep keep creating it as you see fit. Well, I was just about to compare you to Bob Dylan and Van Morrison, but thanks for getting me there early. <laughs> Let's take a minute and listen to a little bit of a sample of one of my favorite tunes, Chinatown. There's an excellent dumpling house the excellent dumpling house. <laughs> the businessman's lunch said he's so free. The afternoon's flow stood up in porcelain as the tourists grappled with their first sweet bubble tea and the soft black pearls in the eyes of a Chinese girl bring me to love at first Now, I'm tempted, Spoon, to say something off the record, but it should be on the record. One of my favorite lines in that song, I'm going to get it wrong, but I want to ask you uh, something about washing the day to the curb with a garden hose. I just want to ask you first, what exactly is the line? Um, so the, the last verse uh, includes the um, all the fish markets close and wash the day to the curb with a garden hose. And that's a you know, typical image for anybody who's been to really any kind of traditional uh, old ethnic neighborhood, regardless of the ethnicity, with the vegetable dealers and the fishmongers and all that, that uh, cleaning up, particularly the fishmongers, you know, cleaning up at the end of the day, you'll see these people out with garden hoses with the, you know, the, the water pistol on the end of it blasting the sidewalk and blasting everything, you know, into the gutter and to clean off the sidewalk around their shop and that's a uh, you know something that's been going on there since the invention of indoor plumbing um, <laughs> well i must say that whole song's full of imagery but when i hear that line i mean i went to school in philly and i can literally put my close my eyes and i'm there i don't know it was a fish market but i'm totally seeing with with complete clarity that scene and i feel like it's 1990 again and it's just so it's so neat how I know the part's coming, and when I listen to that tune, I recognize where I'm at in the song, and I know what I'm going to hear later, but still, when you're hearing that with music, it's, it's so neat how your, your mind's eye goes to this little movie for a second, and that's, that's something I've probably gotten more out of that song uh, from time to time, but that part of it literally is always the same, and that lyric in that song really just sticks with me pretty long for some reason. That's, that's fascinating. You would say 1990 because that may, in fact, be the year when Chinatown came together. And no, I'm trying to re really? remember because I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. I, I was asked to come into a, uh, a rep company called Stillwater's um, acting company of actors that had uh, set it at the Neighborhood Playhouse or, or from uh, one of the other uh, protégés of the 
master teacher, Sandy Meisner, that was at the Neighborhood Playhouse, uh, a guy named Greg Ziddle, uh, his at, and people that went through his studio, and they asked me to come in and take over as artistic director, and this was the first full-length production that I had done for them. So that's got to be 1990, possibly 1991, but I'm pretty sure it was 1990. So that's interesting that you had the, basically the same experience that I, that I did at this, in the same year in separate cities. And uh, um, just shows how we are, are continue to be brothers in Martin, or brothers <laughs> by different mothers. Um, That's and, freaky. Uh, yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool. So um, I would like to uh, maybe come back at you with uh, one of my favorite songs, which is, of course, October. Ooh. <laughs> which I know is a lot of people's favorite song uh, <laughs> when it comes to songs by yours uh, over there in uh, Coldale, Pennsylvania. Well, thank so, you. People joke that that's on my greatest hit album. Um, <laughs> it's, it's funny how I, I feel like I, I put a lot of time into songwriting in the late 90s, and I, I, I feel like I have probably 15 songs and I'm really proud of some of them and I'm really proud of maybe two of them and that's one that gets a lot of rotation in my acoustic act whether it's solo or a duo or in the band but I often watch interviews with with songwriters and a Tom Petty clip is coming to mind now where he might have been quoted at one time he would talk about writing a song and it's kind of coming to him it's not creating you're not thinking of what do I put here you're just kind of hearing this song and the best way I could describe October uh, first of all, the, the time of it, and I'll be freaked out if, if you were also in New England around this year, because then we're going to have two songs in a row where uh, we have the same telepathic experience. But I was really lucky enough to get married in October of 1998, and we honeymooned in beautiful uh, Cape Cod area of, of uh, Massachusetts. And maybe this is going to sound really interesting or really dumb. Uh, I'll... I'll wear whatever uh, you put on me here, but I don't remember if, I don't think I had a guitar with me. I'm almost sure I did not. I, I don't remember feeling like I could bring an instrument on a honeymoon, so I'm sure I didn't have a guitar with me. And it was one of those rare times in a, uh, an entire year, it might be the only seven days I wasn't with a guitar. But I sort of remember feeling like I'm hearing this song that's, that's my song, and I didn't create it yet, but I'm hearing it played in my mind. So I definitely heard the melody and the chord progression We'll play a snippet of it later. Uh, you'll you'll find very a very similar feel to part of Message in a Bottle. It's not chorus for chorus. It's kind of I use some of the chorus feel of that song in, in my uh, verse, but not the melody, just the way that the chords move back and forth. And I sort of, I must have had that song in my mind, but I didn't realize that until years later. But I came up with the melody and most of the words. And I, I do remember coming home after that seven days being gone having the song almost done, and I mean melody, chords, words, bridge, it, it almost felt like in my sleep or in my subconscious I was learning a song from someone else. And after a week was over, I it was almost done. And, and then I ended up putting it on, on one of my CDs. I came out with a couple of CDs in 97 and 99. And so it was my second CD, and I remember you know having some friends play on, uh, on different tracks. And it was arranged a certain way where it was just guitar, a little bit of electric piano and a couple of vocals but really quickly after that uh, the different bands that I was in whether it was a duo with Tim or our four-piece band the Shellshock Churchills we immediately started playing it 
more than a few different ways. And I've, I've got a couple different recordings we can choose from when I include a snippet here in this podcast. But it's a song that was written extremely quickly. It wasn't really changed all that much. But as you mentioned, uh, your little anecdote about having the first line after so many years became something different. There are parts in this song where every time you sing the chorus, the first two times you're supposed to sing so much to see so much to see and then the last part of the song is too much to see and if anybody listening to this show if you're in a band you know what i'm going to say next none of these guys ever sing it right and it's always (laughs) now it's always too much to see too much to see too much to see no more subtleties with building a, a little bit of tension in a lyric and having it start where so much and then it ends in too much now we're gonna go right to the 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 payday but other than that it really has stayed the same except for i really like it a lot better now with drums and bass and electric guitar um so i I have a good i have a song that's basically on on a cd from 1999 that's a stripped down version i've played completely stripped down versions alone with just my guitar and my vocal but my favorite version would certainly be uh when the churchills play it and as we're recording this in late may we just played four days ago and it, we, we did a good version of it. So it's, it's one of those things, if I had been in that band in a recording capacity back in 1999, I would have insisted that's how it would have been put to tape. But it's, it's, it's one of my favorite songs to play. And it, it's, I mean, anytime you can sing a song for two or three minutes and it instantly reminds you of a honeymoon, I mean, you, you can tell why I'm, I'm never bothered when, when someone asks to hear it for sure. Well, that's fascinating on many uh, levels. I, I knew the background of it, but I, but you mentioned several things I did not know. Uh, one, you mentioned that it basically fell out of you that you had the lyrics and the melody and the you know how it's, it was going to be uh, sung in your head before you ever got a chance to really go work it out on an instrument and that has happened to me uh, rarely but it has happened to me that same sort of thing um the other thing is you mentioned that you were consciously aware of uh, somebody else's song that was kind of in the mode that you were hearing in your head i would have never guessed listening to that song i would never guess in a million years that that police song had any any connection to it whatsoever and but i have done the same thing and i'm trying to remember what it was when i had something stuck in my head like a groove or a, basically like the you know like when i would be out walking in the woods or uh, you know taking a fitness walk here in the in the park by my home or something like that where certain cadences would get in my head it could be santana it could be i think in this case it was talking heads <laughs> and i don't remember what song it was now but it prompted me to uh, kind of spin off of it and end up creating a, a piece of music that that had that. And I can't remember the name of the Talking Heads piece, but it's the one that's nonsense lyrics that uh, David Byrne wrote uh, to try to do a Dada-esque uh, piece of music. And I can't remember what the name of the song is, but mm-hmm. I know he does it in his broad that Broadway review that he had for quite a long time. He does it on in that. But anyway, that was very very similar. Uh, situation. But I also wanted to point out that there's something, for some reason, from the moment I heard those opening hammer-on chords that you do at the beginning and um, and then tr- uh, keep reprising through the song, sounds maritime to me. 
not in a sea shanty way, but in a David Crosby way, in a Jimmy Buffett way, in a Kenny Chesney way even, or the guy that actually does all the fancy guitar work for Kenny Chesney, whose name I can't remember right now. But there was something about it that makes me think it's, I can't call it Calypso, I can't call it anything like that, and yet, and yet it seems, and that was before, that was when I instantly heard it, that was even before I heard the lyrics, or knew that you were going to Cape Cod, or anything like that. But there was just something about seagulls and seaside, and, and you know, and, and sunny days on the waves that just, uh, uh, just had, you know, something evocative about that guitar part. And the fact that you had come up with it in your head without having a guitar in your hand while you're at Cape Cod and after, I think is uh, absolutely fascinating. <laughs> so, thank you. Um, and then fi a final point I want to make about this, uh, about your tale of, of the song, um, is uh, Lee Shore. All Along the Lee Shore, which you and I both love, <laughs> another maritime song that David Crosby wrote, you know, in a, on a boat in a, in a little... Uh, lagoon somewhere in the Caribbean. My all-time favorite version is him doing it solo on his D45 in 1970 that's on Four-Way Street. Mm. But of course, in Cros um, uh, they recorded it electrically, though it didn't make a record. Um, and I don't remember, I think they even recorded it for Deja Vu, but, but maybe they recorded it after Deja Vu for the album they never completed before they broke up. But they recorded it electrically, and then, of course, there's the fabulous version they do on uh, Crosby and Nash Live. Yeah. With, with the session guys uh, from, from, you know, the L.A. session guys, uh, Russ Kunkel and Tim Drummond, uh, Craig Dorgie, and David Lindley. And mm -hmm. uh, that's awesome. And, and he's done, a, you know, a bunch of different electric versions of it ever since then. And, and they're all grand, even though... Uh, even though I still hearken back to the scaled-down acoustic version, just like I do uh, with October, so and not to freak you out, but I'm gonna I'm gonna tie everything in a nice little bow, maybe more than once here. That's probably the CD that I was really wearing out in 1990-91 when I commented about thinking about your song. So we're gonna have that. Uh, as, a, as a pretty good theme there. We're going to keep coming back to what you and I were doing and listening to in 1991, just so you know. Well, you also mentioned uh, Tom Petty's quote, and that reminds me um, uh, two things. One is, again, you this kind of fell out of you, and um, you know, there's the apocryphal story that Pacho and Lefty just fell out of, you know, Towns Van Zandt. He just sat down and wrote it out. Uh, and some parts of that apocryphal story, including uh, includes it coming to him in a dream. Um, <laughs> and if, if people haven't seen the little trailer about Paul Simon's new album, I highly recommend it on YouTube, where he's talking about the song and ultimately the concept for his latest album uh, that he's put out now that he's 80 years old, um, came to him in a dream. So um, that's, wow. that's kind of a fascinating theme. But... Somebody handed me a book back in college that I think was called In Their Own Right, uh, with the pun being W-R-I-T-E. And it is short interviews with songwriters, lots and lots of songwriters, including uh, Paul Simon. And it's a, it's a fascinating read because of how different everybody is about 
the task of songwriting, whether it's something that is artistic inspiration, something that is professional craft. Um, most uh, professional songwriters sit down and write all day long and write tons and tons of songs they just throw away and, and you know, snatches. And, and um, I've certainly had plenty of snatches of things that never turned into songs and some things were borrowed and added into later songs, and particularly when it came to music, uh, the music of abandoned songs. Um, but what I, one thing I remember clearly is, is Elvis Costello talking about the song uh, Sneaky Feelings, is that what it's called, from his first record. I can't believe I can't remember that tune, that name of that song. Sneaky, I think it's Sneaky Feelings. Forgive me, some of you out there, I'm sure people out there know what I'm talking about. But he said he consciously tried to write a song like Robbie Robertson. He was trying to write a song for the band or a song that would have appeared on music from Big Pink or one of the wow. early band albums. And of course, the Elvis Costello song doesn't sound anything to me. When I, heard, when I read that, I was like, what? No way. <laughs> But that was his, it came through his personal filters and, and came out of him. Uh, but that was the germ idea. And I, I think that's also fascinating. Of, uh, and I know many other people that attempt to do that, that say, I want to write a song that's like, sounds like Elvis, that's like Elvis Costello, or that, you know, use that as an inspiration. How would Elvis Costello write this song? How would Neil Young write this song? How would, and there, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, finding inspiration in, uh, the Beatles certainly did it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they grew up listening to Buddy Holly, and as did a zillion other people in that era, you know, and, uh, or Chuck Berry, you know, of course, George Harrison, greatly influenced by, um, Chad Atkins, and by you know those guys, the uh, the Rockabilly Carl guys, Carl Perkins, Carl Perkins. Thank you, that was the name I was looking for. Um, and Little Richard, you know, I mean, McCartney, uh, when they were very young on those BBC recordings that were released, here's very young Paul McCartney, and there's the smarmy BBC. Uh, you know, they're taking a break in their live performance on the BBC, and he says, uh, "Paul, Ray, you're singing." You know who's uh, who are your uh, you know who are your major influences, and uh, and he immediately says Little Richard, and immediately starts talking about Little Richard, who was a pretty controversial character in those days, uh, <laughs> and as he would be today, uh, things come around, but uh, goes around comes around, but um, but then the guy says, and here's. <laughs> Till there was you. So he's talking about you know the wailings, wailings of Little Richard, and then they go to him singing the what's what Rogers and Harder Rogers and Hammerstein song Till There Was You from the Music Man. <laughs> uh, I mean from uh, My Fair Lady. But anyway, I always got a big kick out of that because it was not, I'm sure, what the BBC was hoping he was going to say. But uh, hold on, they, though, could you picture Little Richard singing that? <laughs> Till there was you. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, exactly. So, um, but of course, I'm blabbing way too long. Uh, before we go any further, let's hear some of Maury's awesome composition, October.
so thank you for allowing me to ask you that question about that song. I wouldn't mind asking you more questions, but I'm afraid it may be time for you to ask me our version of... Huh? 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 Oh, 20 questions! <laughs> 20 questions! <laughs> okay, enough about this songwriting junk. Let's get down to brass tacks. Let's talk about the things we use to write the songs. I'm going to think of a Martin guitar, and you've got 20 opportunities to tell me what it is. Are you ready? Yes. Now, just for people who've never heard this segment before, I am allowed to guess up to three instruments before I lose. So we'll see if I lose or I can figure it out. Let's begin. 20 questions on the clock. That doesn't make sense. Go. Is it a dreadnought? Yes. Well, that narrows it down to about 40 <laughs> guitars. Uh, are the back and sides mahogany? No. Hmm. Are the back and sides rosewood? Yes. Awesome. Okay, so... Is it a member of the standard series? Yes. <laughs> Does it have a pearl rosette? No. Ooh. Well, you think of good questions. Ooh. Does it have scalloped bracing? Yes. <clears throat> Is it an HD35? kind of sucks that you're so good at this game that that was seven you almost tied the record at six woof woof well i wasn't <laughs> counting i i thought you were going to say no i thought well let me eliminate that one and then go, uh but thank you thank you wow honest to god <laughs> we're going to call this 10 questions soon you know, I you know I'd be curious to hear you know from some of our listeners, at least the ones on the YouTube version of this, that can leave comments. You know, to hear you know little songwriting uh, point of view that they have. I'm sure there are many people out there that write songs, even if they don't share them with many people. And uh, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a fun experiment. Um, as a, as a lad, I woke up right when I was first playing guitar. I woke up and went to work on some Saturday and came up with a song. Very simple pattern, E minor, C, G, D, I think. Um, and uh, it turned, uh, turned into a song, but it was very hokey, early teenage, you know, lyrics about some generic broken heart love relationship sort of thing. And so completely abandoned that but then used it for a song that I wrote uh, called Almost Happened that's about a, um, a guy, a mythical, mythically from my hometown, who uh, hears stories about John Dillinger, who apparently was briefly in my county jail, 
and here's and ultimately goes off to to rob banks and becomes an outlaw and gets you know shot down by the law and i use that song that song pattern um and then later uh everybody kept pointing out that the chords are the same to uh what if god is one of us i think is the oh, song okay and so i had to change the intro to the song so it wouldn't people wouldn't think i was about to sing that song <laughs> but i can tell you i came up with it long before uh she did and um <laughs> and but uh you know not that i'm trying to sue her uh, like they just sued ed sheeran but uh but mm. anyway that's the other thing uh you know i i i guess my original point was after i came up with it i was going around to people and saying do you recognize this because i felt like it was the first time I came up with a song and, and a chord progression. And oh, wow. I honestly thought that maybe I had heard it on the radio while I was asleep, you know, listening to the typical top 40 rock and roll mm. stuff. And so I kept asking people. I thought, is this a Neil Young song? Is this, you know, does anybody recognize this? I just kept feeling like I had stolen it. But um, but apparently it was in the zeitgeist because other people have used the exact same chord progression. Oh, um, yeah. You know, um, so there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Um, in fact, can you think of any uh, songs that actually use the same uh, chord progression? Absolutely, I can. And they're actually two very similar songwriters, very near and dear to my heart as far as my inspirations. There's a Jackson Brown tune that you and I just played not very long ago called Barricades of Heaven which has the E minor C G D if you guys are listening at home with a pen and paper and your guitar in your hand play that song and then before you put the guitar away play Warren Zevon's Splendid Isolation same chords a little uh -huh. bit faster and a lot nastier uh huh you know that's the same progression i was just mentioning but i haven't played uh almost happened in such a long time i don't remember if it's that i know it's e minor c g i don't remember it's this it goes to d d but but very different rhythmically it's not not anything like uh, barricades of heaven so but that's mm -hmm. a really good uh really good comparison um i can go back to um to the 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 classic rock and roll um 50s rock and roll chord progression that can be used whether you whatever key you're in it can be a twist and shout it can be la bamba it can be what else is, does that there's a i mean there's like a a a slew of songs <laughs> that you can sing one right after the other and put them together <laughs> in a metal you know medley that goes back and forth because they use the exact same chord progression um even uh even Leo Kotke's My Father's Face, uh, which is kind of a rap song in the sense that it's just spoken lyrics, uses that same progression. <laughs> um, but uh, so, you know, again, it, people, either, whether you're a fledgling songwriter or just trying to find new inspiration, there's nothing wrong with, with going for tried and true uh, chords. I mean, look how many songs are use C, F, and G the way that Hank Sr. used them, Hank Williams Sr., you know, use them, and uh, you know, there's a zillion songs that follow that as well. So, um, and not just that, but I want to say this here to get your input, and I'll ask people in the chat and the comments if you are following along with this on YouTube. I would almost want to say that the song is the melody, 
and then the chords are secondary. And I don't mean to say chords don't matter, but the, the four chords we're talking about, maybe in your song, in the Jackson Brown tune and the Warren Zevon tune, if you would sing those songs a cappella, number one, you might not know what the chords are, and those melodies aren't shared. So I think you can borrow chord progressions a lot more often and not be in trouble of emotionally or uh, legally taking someone's song, but it's the melody that you're singing over those chords. And more importantly, to, in my opinion, it's the melody independent of the chords. Even if you took the chords out of a song, that's where you can really tell you're listening to the Zevon tune, not the Jackson Brown tune. Uh, where do you stand on that issue? Not, not to get really into copyright, but do you feel like the song is the song? The melody is the song, or can you describe it differently? Well, I think you go into problems, like when George Harrison lost the lawsuit about My Sweet Lord uh, and He's So Fine, um, you know, they felt that there was enough similarity there that whether it was con unconscious or not, that, you know, it, it, it infringed upon intellectual property. Um, and I agree with you. Uh, I remember that Sunday morning CBS show long ago, though I don't remember the composer, but it was like a serious composer, not a pop composer. And, but the, the uh, reporter was saying how the great melodies can be played with one finger on a piano, um, the, you know, that are unique, that you hear them and, you, and the, the evocative feeling of song, uh, comes through uh, just hearing that. And some of that is an emotional connection because you remember what the lyrics are. But uh, I, I agree with you that melody, uh, melody makes the song. Uh, takes the lyric and turns it into a song. And um, it's, you know, of course, different with some modern music, uh, rap music and, and a lot of hip-hop is not melodic. It's based on, on rhyming chant, which is one of the oldest ways of, of you know, communicating poetry to, to anybody. And, um, and so that's a little different uh, than when you're talking about traditional melodic Western music. But key can still, you know, chord progressions can still matter. Uh, anybody who's tried to play certain songs with a capo, um, you know, up the neck, as opposed to trying to transpose it into another key, can learn that the, that the mood or the, the emotional content of the music part of the song doesn't always work when you're transposing it. And some of that has to do with music theory, with how many flats and all that are in the are sharps and flats are in the key. Um, but sometimes, if you cannot sing low enough for a favorite song, and you put a capo and you have to go all the way up to four or five, even though you're losing the bass resonance, you're still getting the flavor of the song in terms of the chords you're using and bass runs and that kind of stuff, where trying to transpose it down in first position, you often will lose the, the, the flavor of the song and it simply won't, you know, it becomes much more stylized, you can get away with it, but it's not going to have the same impact of Mr. Tambourine or Man or, or, or October uh, <laughs> if you, you know, if you, not to mention, you wouldn't even be able to accomplish the, the barred hammer-ons that you do in that song if you were transposing it and keeping it in, keeping it uh, down at the at the nut, you know, without using a capo. So, so it's a, I, it is a combination of both. And to maintain that, the, the feeling of the melody um, 
you know, is important. So I, you know, that's a long way of saying I agree with you that the the melody of the song is really the song. Um, so that's a that I think that's a very uh, very astute thing to say there, Maury. Good for you. Thank you very much for the compliment, Spoon. It's time we talk about another favorite song of mine. Let me ask you how well you know your catalog. If I don't tell you the title, but I give you a sound effect, would you know which song I mean? <laughs> uh, possibly. <laughs> That's three. Oh. Four. Five. Six. Well, that narrows it down. As I take a sip of water and all the, and leaks start pouring out, seven leaks start pouring out of me. Um, <laughs> so yes, you're obviously referring to seven pistols. Um, <laughs> that is a good example of something where I had the music long before I had the lyrics. Oh, I had uh, composed some pieces in the open D tuning. So it's, you know, the guitar is tuned to a D chord. And I did that because I had learned Little Martha, uh, which is an open E, but open E is quite a strain on a guitar neck. So, so most people do it in open D and, or, you know, I'll do it with open D and a capo. But, but um, so I had come up with, I said, well, I'm going to need other things to do in open D. So I came up, experimented and came up with some songs in open D or tunes, uh, instrumentals. And so I thought, well, then I should come up with a song in open D. So I took one of those instrumentals, the one that I thought would work best for uh, lyrics, and came up with this tune called Seven Pistols, mm. which, uh, which I think a lot of people have written their, uh, their cowboy song, their outlaw song, their, I mean, the Eagles did an entire album based on that premise. Uh, which was a major influence on me as a kid, the Desperado album, which yeah. I still love. So Seven Pistols is, and I also grew up on cowboy movies and, and you know, lawman versus outlaw stuff and and uh, and grew up in the era of Bush Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which I saw multiple times in the movies and, <laughs> and uh, those kind of movies. And so I came up with my own Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid type song. And basically, uh, I just had to come up with a, with a bridge. And so it's actually a double bridge. So that's where that song came from. I still remember hearing you play that at one of the earliest Martin Fests. And I, I get the name of this CD wrong all the time. Is it called Select Cuts? Yes, it was called Select Cuts because I, uh, I had found a... Uh, I don't remember the painter now, but I, originally I was going to do it with a, uh, a cover of a famous uh, painter's painting showing two butchers standing there holding up pieces of chopped up animals <laughs> <laughs> with a bunch of dead animals hanging up behind them. So I changed it and, and instead uh, found a, uh, a very uh, you know, jovial-looking warthog photo that I put on the cover, and then on the back was like a warthog in profile which i has then put all the uh butcher's markings of where the select cuts would be but anyway <laughs> yes it was that was a homemade cd that i made to bring to martin fest for some friends but uh 
Well, that got a lot of rotation back when we had our first store, uh, the, the, well, the store in the first location. I remember hearing that a lot, and I, when I you know, met up with you and those songs were all brand new to me. I hope I can find it because I haven't looked for CDs physically in, in quite a long time, but that's, uh, that's probably one of my favorite tracks from that CD. Well, I may be doing a, a reissue of sorts. I, I'm probably going to be putting out a, a second instrumental album at some point, and I will either uh, hopefully technically bring up to date the instrumentals on that CD and include them, because most of them I don't remember how to play anymore. I'm going to try to relearn them. And then eventually I've always wa wanted to do an actual CD of my songs with other musicians and, and um, take some of those uh, songs from that album and, and update them as well. So, so uh, the original recording was actually done on a, I think, a 1960 or 1961 0021, the little 12-fret 0021 that... <laughs> is owned by Mac Carter, who was the original uh, main moderator for the unofficial Martin Guitar Forum. And he had gotten it, if I remember, as a high school graduation present. And it was be he beat it to death, and he took it to the factory and had to have it retopped with Adirondack Spruce. And at the very first Martin Fest, I had met him a couple times at little soirees that he had at his home in New Jersey by this time. But he came up to me at the end of that first Martin Fest and said, would you take this home and play it in for me? Because he didn't, because he felt it was just too stiff and it really wasn't, you know, didn't sound like his old guitar. So I got to bring it home for several months and, and wow. sort of start that Adirondack top on its, on its journey and recorded that tune. And wrote, you know, basically wrote the song part of it with that guitar and recorded it with that guitar. Um, the the uh, video that these people are probably going to see and and the little sound snippet actually comes from a live performance in New York City, and is on a, uh, a custom uh, Madagascar rosewood Adirondack spruce uh, short scale triple oak. Um, basically, a uh, based on a the Lawrence Huber signature model, but in short scale. Well, folks, what's that old saying, the best laid plans? We had every intention of making this short enough to fit it into one episode, but we failed miserably. This thing is gonna pass the two hour mark if we're not careful. So I think the best thing to do here is cut it in half and invite you back next week for the thrilling conclusion of Martins and More with Spoon Phillips, Songwriting, Part Two. This has been a presentation of Maury's Music, your trusted source for Martin and Blue Ridge guitars. Find us online at maurysmusic.com. <laughs>